0: Happy new year everyone this is the next episode of the paleo protestant podcast we are <clears throat> recording on january 16th 2023 martin luther king day i guess we probably should be observing this in some way but with the semester about to begin here at hillsdale college and my colleagues Corey moss and miles smith and uh for those anyone who doesn't know me i'm D.G. Hart. We all teach history at Hillsdale. We're gearing up, getting our syllabi ready, and so this is a last chance we have before chaos ensues. (laughs) And we're going to talk today about um, ecclesiocentric post-liberalism, which is one of the things I was uh, kind of fascinated by over the break. But before we go into that, uh, I thought we would update listeners like they care, but with anything that we may have done of interest, church-related or not, over the break. So, uh, Corey or Miles, you want to go first on this?
1: Um, Sure, I'll go. Um, I think I mentioned this to both of you when I saw you uh, not too terribly (laughs) long ago, that uh, our big adventure over the Christmas break was a a pilgrimage up to Frankenmuth, Michigan, which. F, despite having been here for 10 years in Michigan, we, we had never visited before. And Frankenmuth was a, a sort of German colony settled by uh, Germans back in the 1840s. Uh, huge, beautiful Lutheran church, one of the mother churches of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Um, so, yeah, we, we, we went up, toured the church, uh, wandered around town looking at all the the Bavarian or faux bavarian uh, <laughs> decorations uh, in time for Christmas. I visited Bronner's, the, the world's largest Christmas store, for what that's worth. <laughs> um, and and bought some cheese and pretzels and can't remember if we had beer or not. We probably should have, but
0: yeah, good time. Good time. You know, uh, it was just parenthetically, yeah. Thinking about Michigan in the 1840s. So the Dutch had a colony in the West, uh, Holland,
1: yeah. Michigan,
0: about the same time, and then you have the Germans getting the piece of Michigan in the East. I mean, that's actually kind of intriguing. I, I've wanted to teach a course on state history. Mm. Um, anyway, just just to m- mention that parenthetically, um, but it is related to confessional Protestantism since you have Reformed and Lutheran on both sides of the state there. But Miles, what did you do of
2: interest? The, the interesting thing, was, uh, I, uh, my family gets together. We affectionately call it Smithmas. Um, and, uh, most of my family lives in and around, um, the two counties where we're kind of from, which is Rowan County and Mecklenburg County in North Carolina. Um, so basically, Charlotte and the area around it. But uh, this, the past few years, because um, we've gotten big um, with my cousins having a lot of kids, we have started meeting in the basement of an ARP church um, uh, that, uh, wow. that my uncle and aunt attend. So my my broader family, I am a real black sheep. My broader family is so Presbyterian. We have uh, PCA, PCUS, and ARP ruling elders all under one on one roof and so uh, everybody attends the presbyterian church except for me and so uh uh in my um uh willingness to uh, to be the black sheep i'm also the only person who lives up north too so uh, <laughs> i uh, i uh i i we went upstairs and we took uh, our family picture uh, in the sanctuary so i don't know if that's uh particularly uh, enthusiastically allowed or not but uh, we were all in front of there and i had forgotten this but i i, I reminded one of the things that I've uh, seen at almost every ARP church, um, and I'm sure there's exceptions, so our APAR, ARP listeners can 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 tweet at me or, or email me if I'm wrong. They always have office candles on their office <laughs> table. always two office candles. Um, and so I don't know if that's a seceder thing or if that's just kind of one of those, you know, things that kind of develop. Or there's no reason for, but even even there at uh, ARP Church in Salisbury, North Carolina. There were two office candles. So, so
0: in all, uh, for those of us who are uh, liturgically illiterate or dumb, uh, what is an office candle?
2: Well, they're just uh, Anglicans call them office candles. I'm not sure what Presbyterians or Lutherans call them, but those are just the two candles. Uh, you don't have okay. A, it's just just the two, just 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 two um, two candles. So, do you think the
0: ARP call them that, or are they just? I don't
2: know. That would be a great. That would be something to to find out. I have no idea, but um, because
0: I mean, going back into my youth, I can remember maybe not in my home church, a Baptist church, but um, churches we visited that would have been Baptist having candles on the table, the Lord's supper table, and I, you know, what do you? You got to put something up there. I mean so some people put flowers some people put can so I don't know and the air it was very
2: beautiful there was uh, two candles and a and, a, and a, I think a wreath um, huh. in there but uh, yeah it was uh, it was that was that was the thing I noticed about church yeah. break so
0: yeah well ann and i we were in california for about 3 weeks which was really quite pleasant house sitting for friends and um, we played hooky on the OPC and went to BCUSA church, which was really convenient to get to, right in Rancho Santa Fe, called Village Church. And it was actually fine. It was not great preaching, but not terrible. Nothing was really cringe in any of the services we went to. Although I did notice I had never seen this before. And I've church hopped some. Um so they took the they take the offering by putting two plates at the front on the left and the right. And they have people at the offering go forward to put their offerings in those baskets. And I, I still don't know what to think about that. Uh,
1: in some you ways. Think I, that's a, you think that's a COVID hangover? Huh. Could be.
0: Oh, I wonder. I but, but it does draw a lot of attention to people yeah. um, in ways that, normal offerings don't i mean i have seen scottish churches with a box at the back where you put something in on the way out but anyway the other one was and this could also be covid related but people went forward to take communion on new year's morning and they did in tincture so people would take the bread from the plate we didn't commune if any Orthodox Presbyterians listening are, are worried, okay? <laughs> um, and they would take the bread, dip it in the cup, and then, and then, which is really too bad. I felt badly for these people, but they would then eat on the way back and they're chomping on the bread as they're headed back to their seats and it's just so undignified way to eat even such small portions. There, there were a couple older members or worshipers who actually took the bread all the way back to their seat. And then once they sat, ate, but, um, everything else was really in good taste, but this was a little bit odd to be eating on the run like that, as it were. Um, but I also listened to a, po- a, pod- a, podcast, not a podcast, a, a podcast, uh, which alerted me to something I've been seeing on Twitter which is the subject of today's conversation, which is, it's a mouthful, people, ecclesiocentric post-liberalism. So I was kind of intrigued by this, and it winds up it's for some kinds of Protestants who read seemingly seemingly a lot of mid-20th century uh, European Roman Catholics who are kind of in the resourcement tradition. But... Um, but it 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 is about, or part of its intention is to make the church much more as the, as, the, as the word suggests, much more center, central to a Christian's existence. And it has a kind of, because it's attached to post-liberal, it suggests that maybe the next stage of post-liberal society will, restore the church to its its center so it it you know it sounds sort of like another version of christendom even though there's not a lot of christendom talk in the in the podcast that i've listened to and one of the Purse people uh on the podcast and i won't mention him by name not that I I, i don't think he's ashamed he's a he's a great writer he's quite bold in his uh in his assertions, which I admire quite a bit, but he re- he writes for uh, Law and Liberty and First Things, and and we'll link to some of those pieces in the so-called show notes. Um, but he he wrote a piece um, for Law and Liberty that I, the name of which, the title of which, I am looking for looking for a church in the state, um, and what's Intriguing to me about this because, and this why this is relevant to confessional Protestantism is that I found have found confessional Protestantism as a way to push back on broad church or parachurch evangelicalism, or Jesus in my heart, kind of pietism. So confessional Protestants really do try to take corporate worship seriously, church government seriously. Um, the the rigors of ordination and all that seriously in ways that evangelicals and even liberal Protestants typically do not, although liberal Protestants are much more invested in the institutional structures of denominations. So here come these ecclesiocentric post-liberals who are doing emphasizing the church in ways that I am quite uncomfortable with, partly because of the political connotations, but also partly because, wait, are they actually more serious about the church than I am? And I have said to sort of think about that. Um, Is it it possible that they really are more serious about the church than I am? I have ways of pushing back and exploring that. Uh, Can they get away with it? Um, And just read a couple of quotations related to what got me thinking is... Um, the, the person who, who, whose article with, who we're interacting with writes against national conservatism or a critique of national conservatism in the Statement of National Conservatives. And I can also link to that in the in the show notes. Um, but he, he writes that the statement about national conservatism looks to the nation and other worldly institutions that is two words, other worldly institutions, to provide the type of solidarity only the church can provide and aspirations only the church can realize. So the church offers solidarity that the nation state cannot. And there's something to that, although I do <laughs> I do wonder if the churches could ever really do that. Um but there's there, that's one. Ideally, it could. He also writes, the church is the Christian's first family. The church is the Christian's first polis. And the church is the Christian's first ethnos. And he's using uh, polis and ethnos in specific ways. But again, it is a way of s- suggesting that the church, that Christians have a loyalty and identity in the church as an institution, as a body, that cannot be fulfilled elsewhere. Um and he also writes that the that say the nation-state is a is a is an image of of what the church does. So there is a kind of analogy there, and, and, and the church is a kind of fulfillment of what nation-states can do. So those are some of the uh, uh claims that this writer makes, and that is echoed by other people in the ecclesiocentric um, post-liberal world. And I thought it would be useful to think about that, and, and specifically even to, to, to wonder whether there are pockets in, among Lutherans, Anglicans, and Presbyterians that might be drawn to that, or if there are different uh, ways that Lutherans, Anglicans, and Presbyterians express this without actually reading a bunch of (laughs) Dulubach. Miles.
2: Yeah. So as I think about this, and one thing that's hard to translate any of that over to Anglicanism is that we just don't have a history of being a communitarian faith. And we have a tradition of being a national one. Um, And I think Mm. that's really, that difference is important. Um, I mean, the Church of England and the Church of Ireland are the historically the the two kind of Anglican, old, you know, old Anglican churches, and so I think when people say something like the church is our first ethnos or our first, you know, for kind of that most basic kind of fundamental um, socializing institution catechizing institution right it's 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 almost like the church as a nation the church as a society unto itself i think that's that's what this this article is is going for like there's some there's some otherness to it that kind of is antecedent to all these other communities um and so it's at once a spiritual community and a a social one too i think in this rendering it's just hard for anglicanism to transfer to to be that Um, you know, from, from the beginning, it's the English church. It's not the Northumbrian church. It's not the, you know, your are flat down the street and three doors over, you have your buddy church. I mean, it's a national church. Um, and Anglican piety maps on to that. It's one of the reasons why it's kind of weird. If you go to an Anglican church, that's like, like mine, or really the only show around, um, So it's actually kind of funny. You could say, all right, well, this church is your first, you know, what all he said. But that just wouldn't make any sense because our prayer book is obviously not this little community's prayer book. It's a prayer book for an entire English-speaking province in North America. So I just think it's hard for Anglican piety um, and Anglican churches. I mean, Anglican churches, each individual province to do that. Um, the only place I can think of where it might kind of act like that is in West Africa, um, where it is it is that for socio-cultural and political reasons. Um, why do you look for the church? Uh, you know, why are you so loyal to the church in Nigeria? Well, that's how you're gonna get the phone numbers of guys who can call people, who can get machine guns, who can come protect you from whatever. Islamic militia is going to come hurt you, um, so if anything, it's sort of the church acting as that local of a of a polis is just something you don't see in Anglican churches a lot so
0: when you're saying communitarian that Anglicanism doesn't have that communitarian streak, that seems t- to say. Something more intimate or more particular, or uh, I mean, because a, a nation and a national church would have a communal aspect to it as well, or communitarian, yeah. I think the community um, is
2: bigger than what he's alluding to, if I can. Okay, yeah, I, I think that I mean, it sounds like this he's describing, um, a, a, a order in which a local parish does a lot of things hmm. that I don't associate with local parish life.
0: <laughs> right.
2: um, and, and I, I think it's, I mean, maybe you can find some Anglican parishes in North America uh, and, you know, people might say, well, historically it was like that. Well, historically, you know, you couldn't drive across England in six hours either. Um, <laughs> so I, I, I think kind of why as dumb as this may sound, I think interstates actually are a big problem for this view of, of religious life. Um, you know, I mean, how many of us actually have the kind of, you know, historical tie to the churches we attend? How many of us can look back and say, oh yeah, the church has meant all this thing, you know, for me, and most of us haven't spent the, the, the majority of our lives in our present, the three of us haven't spent the majority of our lives in our present parishes. So I think that what he's asking for, is something that I think modernity makes difficult. Um, And I also just don't know if at least particularly Anglican piety is ever mapped on to that, especially if you look at the prayer, the way Anglicans pray, um, you know, our local needs and, and, and and intentions are wrapped up in national prayers. Hmm. I think that's, that's something that's, particular to Anglicans. I don't know the, you know, what, what Presbyterian liturgies they are. I don't know them that well. And I don't know the Lutheran Service book that well. But Anglicans are kind of always praying nationally, whether they mean to or not. I think that's just the way our liturgy is shaped. Sorry, that was long-winded.
1: I well I no you, you raise a good point because I I I read this piece a bit differently. Because, uh, again, just for context, he's, he's proposing this ecclesiocentric post-liberalism as an alternative to the the sort of nationalist um, movement. And one of his critiques is that this statement of, what, what was the, the name of the statement? Uh, the, national
0: statement. Conservatives. The um... statement of
1: national conservatism or national conservative principles is, is was that When it dealt with matters of religion, other than some, you know, endorsements of Bible reading and that sort of thing, it never actually referred to the church. It referred only to individual congregations. Mm -hmm. And I, I can understand why that might vex him, but just to push back a little bit. Um there's something between the individual congregation or parish and the church capital T capital C and that's that thing we now call denominations. And and that's that's where I think that his proposal isn't quite mapping onto reality because he wants to talk about you know the church being our first family and our first nation our first ethnos. Um but what we see on the ground isn't the church, or a church, it's, it's lots of churches, and so to the extent that the na- that the nation is going to be relativized by the church, and is going to look to the church as a kind of model, he needs to answer the question. I mean, obviously, it's not going to look to an individual congregation, but but what is the church that it's going to look to? So, you know, as as an institution. Um, if, if it's not a particular denomination.
0: Um, yeah. I mean, I, that's, that was, that's been striking me. I, I've, I've, um, I've been thinking for whatever reason, a fair amount about denominationalism of late and how attenuated denominational identities are in part, because a lot of Protestants don't even think in terms of denominations at much anymore because there are all these different networks mega church sorts of uh, ministries etc um, and denominations I think have really really struggled even though the numbers are still there in some ways because people aren't leaving because they don't care about denominations but I don't know how much members of uh, the OPC for instance are thinking a whole lot in terms of being, orthodox presbyterian let alone being presbyterian so that's that's one side of it but the other side of it i mean miles point about um about highways uh interstates is is useful and 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 i i do want to sort of call the bluff a little bit of these these guys on the ecclesiocentric nature of things and say okay so there was a time when a lot of denominations had hospitals um, and you know, such as medicine was at a certain point, they could sort of do that once it became regulated and state um made sure that certain requirements were made met by physicians, et cetera, et cetera. you know, then the churches had to to back out of it, and so you still have um I know big hospitals in Chicago and New York that are still called Presbyterian, but I don't think there's much of a Presbyterian character to them. Other than the name, there may be a chapel and there may be a chaplain who is one of many who is Presbyterian and Roman Catholic um, hospitals still struggle a lot with federal kinds of regulations regarding um, reproduction and, uh, well, reproduction that that do make it harder for churches to administer those sorts of things. But, I mean, so I wouldn't go to church for medicine. I wouldn't go to church for um, banking. I mean, there are just so many aspects of modern society that are broken up into different institutions and the variegated nature of of, of society in all of these different kinds of associations, businesses, Public agencies, voluntary associations, etc., that that we belong to in different ways, so that a Christian's identity gets carved up among these various institutions: school board uh, that that may be Christian, may not be, may be denominational, may not be, church, state, local government, uh, and, and beyond that, bowling league, um, and. You know, I, I sort of want to ask these guys, do you really want the church to be organizing or overseeing all of that different stuff that we just take for granted in civil society and you know, is struggling to come back to life after two years of being sort of shut down? Um, I I don't I don't understand that. And especially when um I can't imagine a local congregation sustaining that kind of loyalty among church members. I mean, maybe it's different in your parishes here in Hillsdale, but, you know, we have a, a weekly, uh, a midweek activity of uh, instruction and, and, and a meal. We have lots of activities on Sundays, but, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know that people, Chill. Parents rearing children, people with professional responsibilities—they they they can handle a lot more than what that the church sort of requires from them on those days. So, and you know, we we've gone from a not for Presbyterians, but for Anglicans and Lutherans, from a season in the um, church calendar that does is is more intensive. Um, So now people get a bit of a break, perhaps, and. Is that somehow diminished ecclesiocentric view?
2: So I, I, um, I was thinking about this. We have a lot of Lutherans on our, in our department, thank goodness, because they're good people, even Corey. Um, but, you know, like, like uh, you think about mid-century, the mid-century LCMS having a huge educational network attached to it, Lutheran high schools, Lutheran colleges. I don't think like if you were able to say, um, and I don't know the nature of those things in depth, but if you were able to say, well, what if the church could oversee a network of confessional colleges? Is that, you know, is that something that's just beyond the pale for people to imagine or high schools or something like that? Um, I mean, Lutherans obviously had a space whereby they said at least in the middle of the 20th century. No, the church... can do, can do those things. Now, whether it did it well or not, I think is a different debate, but I don't know if that's actually beyond the pale because that's what Protestants have done for a long time. I think a lot of this discussion has a lot to do with the nature of, Ameri- of the American state and the nature of American governments and less to do with maybe churches themselves. I think we, we tend to refract everything that happens in the religious milieu of the United States and sort of say, well, What the church, you know, what the church have to do with that and maybe discount the fact that there is a socio-civil catechesis that churches are negotiating with the state. And so, on some level, a lot of Lutherans in mid-century were okay having a lot of Lutheran colleges. A lot of Presbyterians in the 19th were okay having a lot of Presbyterian colleges. Anglicanism's Anglicans sort of gave up the ghost Hmm. in the into the 18th century about this. I think that's what's interesting is because uh, to my knowledge, you know, Anglicans were the only at least Protestant group that had property requisitioned without sort of legal recourse. So Anglicans basically said, we're not going to let us do it. So we're out. Presbyterians sort of had a little bit of faith in these, what I'll call extra ecclesial or a bigger vision of ecclesial duty than merely
1: administering the sacraments and i i mean i this this is probably me not having read this essay closely enough and carefully enough but i i mean i got the impression that that this author is not attempting to propose a kind of protestant integralism where, where the church would actually sort of govern the state but it's it's a it's a Instead, a uh, well, a kind of ambiguous proposal for the state to more model itself on the church, and, and I don't, I don't know what exactly that means. If it just means, you know, what if you're in an elected office, maybe you should realize that the state is not the most important thing, um, and that mm-hmm. you have some things to learn from the church. Um, and I'm, I'm perfectly fine with that. He, I mean, he alludes to. Uh, what 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 in the Lutheran tradition we, we refer to as the three estates, you know, you've, you've got the, you know, the, the government, the political realm, you've got the family, the, the, the household realm, and you've got the church.
2: Is that the language that's used among Lutherans? For yeah, sure? yeah. The three estates.
1: Yeah. And, and he wants to make the argument that because the church is the most important of these. We, we shouldn't pretend like the national conservatives are pretending that the nation is the most important and that the church is just kind of a, a tool that props up and supports mm-hmm. and, you know, does some of the work of the nation. And I, again, I'm totally fine with that. Um, but I just, I don't, I don't know what this looks like in practice. I mean, is, mm-hmm. is, but what's, what's the policy proposal? I mean, I know what the Integralist policy proposal is. Um, I think I know what the National Conservative policy proposal is. I don't really know what this ecclesiocentric post-liberal proposal is for, for how it actually works and what it would actually look like, except for saying the, the, the state is a little more humble. It, it sort of tries to be more like the church. Okay. Fill in the blanks for me.
2: Well, I don't think they know. Um, Sure. Sure. I I think that's, that's, I think that all this seems to be just kind of, well, I mean, Daryl, maybe you read it differently than I did. This is kind of a liberal society is failing. So we need to just throw mud at the wall and see what else, see what will land.
0: Right. I mean, I hear in this echoes of theonomy. It's a, and, and I know that's kind of a scare word, and I don't mean to use it that way. Um, in the 1980s, when you guys were children, theonomy was a real um, a real presence, at least in the conservative Presbyterian world. Um, and it's <laughs> you still hear. You don't hear echoes of it, but, um, um, shoot, Greg Bonson was a, a big proponent of it in uh, Presbyterian Circles. He was he, he received his education at Westminster Seminary, among other places, <laughs> although I think he started at um, Westmont College in Cal- California uh, as an undergrad, um, and then he went to teach at RTS Reformed Theological Seminary Jackson, the original campus, and there was kind of a, a bit of a, a rupture there over theonomy. Um, you can hear his son David Bonson um, has a podcast. He's like the, the, the go-to financial guy on both the commentary, and the National Review podcast. It's it's really quite funny to, to hear a Bonson name in that setting. And I don't know how much, I know he did speak recently at, at some church conference held at an OPC congregation that had overtones of of theonomy. A later version of that was Federal Vision in the 90s, which was, again, more, more I think, more sweeping in its claims about church membership and um, solidarity among Christians to the point of also proposing um, pedo communion things like that, maybe looking back to Israel as a model of a, a covenanted society, covenanted nation. And I do wonder if that really is in the background of these people, how much they're thinking about Israel. Um, and And one of the the leaders in the national conservative movement is Yoram Hazoni himself, a um, fairly serious Jew um, who's written about Protestant, Roman Catholic nationalism in relation to the biblical accounts. So, so, you know, there is reason for thinking that there's um, the fingerprints of what was happening in the eighties and nineties may still be around with this. But it's now found it, other outlets. Bigger.
2: Well, but it's bigger than that. I think that...
0: Well, b- right, because it's some of these people went on to study in England and other places and, and read a lot of European thought or read people like Milbank. And so there's a, a different kind of gloss to it now as opposed to the the cruder versions that were around in the 80s. But it, st- it still seems to me to be... Um, well, I mean how do you, how do you separate church and state in this model? And there seems to be a frustration with that separation of church and state. Israel didn't have a separation of church and state. There was a difference between the king and the priest and the prophets but still um, it, it, there there is a heart there is a desire for wholeness, which I think is laudable. Um, in ways, but my my default about this, as I read scripture and as I think about Christian history in the period between the advents of Christ, that that put a that put a a break on a, the, a theocratic theocratic order of the Old Testament, and the in between time is going to be one of great kind of variety, and the church will be one among many voices in the society until Jesus returns and then there'll be one, you know, you'll have a kind of integralist or ecclesiocentric order then. But in the meantime, your wayfair your wayfarers, your sojourners, your pilgrims, your exiles to use some of the language of first P- Peter. Um, and that's the way I've read Lutheran sources, but uh, at times with the kind of two kingdoms view of things. Not to mention, in the case of Missouri Synod, a, a eth, ethnic immigrant perspective on things. So not fully buying into America, but also not being anti-American in any way, but still kind of separate. Um, and And I think that kind of distinction between church and state, Christian people being one among many people within society in and in a diverse society is, is uh, pretty good. I mean, liberalism, it seems to me, does struggle these days, especially liberalism in a nation state like the United States that's trying to um, uphold global order in some way. We're doing a great job, by the way. We're just doing a great job with that. But, you know, it's hard to have a lot of pluralism and diversity in that kind of security state apparatus. But prior to world wars, prior to uh 1950, it does seem to me America did allow more space for immigrant ethnic churches, et cetera, to be one among many institutions in in civil society. Um so I I I I understand the problems with liberalism in its current iteration, but I still think it had and still has possibilities for for serious christians in ways that europe in mid-20th century early 20th century did not um and even before that i i think that was a long and rambling point and i I don't know to go with it wherever you want
2: i think that um the making this a churchly question is maybe one of the places of tension Um, you know i think that at least in establishmentarian orders. And I think of Great Britain and Ireland, the best examples. Um, if you were to say, okay, we're going to have a hospital. Well, it's, it's ostensibly a Christian hospital, right? Um, if it's in, you know, there's going to be uh, plenty, you know, there's a, until the middle of the 20th, actually, no, it's later than that. I think it's till the sixties, you know, hospitals opened with prayer in oh, um, yeah. in, in the UK. And whatnot. Um, so, so I think like the, the question is: Is that meaningfully theocratic? Um, is the Constitution of Ireland theocratic? Is, is modern Ireland, which is consecrated to the Trinity, is that theocratic? Um, is it illiberal? Um, so I think that we've we've like these words have morphed. For, so, for example, a great you know the great liberal historian of the nineteenth century, Lord Macaulay, and if people haven't read Lord McCalley, you should, because he's probably the greatest historian of Great Britain in the 19th century. But one of the things he says is he goes, of course, I'm a liberal. And yet he supports something like a state church. He supports something that would look like, um, you know, a state sustained sociocultural order that privileges a certain type of Christianity. And yet he is considered a throaty liberal. So I think what we've done is like, the, like even the term national conservative on some ways it's superfluous to me because it, what are you, what are they going to do that, for example, mid 19th century liberals aren't doing? So I think what we've done is we've kind of at least balled in to this sort of sliding scale, this americentric sliding scale on terminology a little bit. And, and it's, a, it's, a, it gets a little tribal because for example, is Franklin Roosevelt a theocrat? Um, you know, he's, he's, telling you know I mean Harry Truman tells Pope Pius in 1947 yeah we're a Christian country um, Franklin Roosevelt tells the rest of the world we're founded on Christian principles so I think that they're comfortable having this conversation without making it a churchly question and so I think what this article is doing what I'm not understanding is why does it need to, like I mean I guess on some level why do we need to care whether the church is litigating this or not shouldn't like i mean the golden rule is something that everybody believes in does that make everyone who believes in the golden rule a theocrat
0: but wouldn't uh, it have been better if truman and roosevelt playing the uh, ecclesiocentrics uh, advocate here wouldn't it have been better for them to make the church a part of their understanding of america as a christian society so i, I mean case. i don't know how that would yes. be
2: but it's a good question. There's this great, um, if I don't know if people read Graham green anymore, is he acceptable to read?
0: Yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah. I think so.
2: Yeah. So, and there's the, his book, the heart of the matter, which doesn't get the same press that um, the power and the glory um, or the end of the affair does the heart of the matter. I won't give away the storyline, but there's a character who's, who's, who's kind of anguishing over a decision that somebody's made and she's talking to a priest and if you, I don't know if either of you read hard of the matter, you remember this. She, she says, well, but what does the church say? And the priest says, well, who cares what the church says? Um, and he wasn't anathemizing doctrine. He was saying maybe the ecclesiastical structure's voice is just wrong and kind of hmm. dumb a lot of times. Like maybe the ecclesiastics don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> and so it's, it's, it's a great line, but that's a great book. And he finishes, it's like, you know, maybe, maybe the church is just kind of dumb every once in a while. Um, so I think viewing, making this question of religious influence in society a churchly question is part of the problem. I'd rather, I, you know, we're, we're relatively confessional. Uh, So wouldn't I rather have church kind of do churchly things and maybe religion is something that's, um, this may sound POMO, but isn't religious influence something bigger than mere churchly influence? Um, so I think if you can have that conversation, it sort of mitigates for one thing, the kind of clericalism that could come from this kind of new order that's being proposed. And it also sort of leaves open, um, at least, at least it allows Protestants to say, you know what? We, we don't believe in this kind of infallible magisterial, you know, ecclesiastical structure. So I think some of it's just kind of asking, does the church need to be where this question is litigated?
0: I mean, going off what you said there, Miles and Corey, I'll let you get in here. You're looking reader, uh, listeners can't see um, that you're looking a little uh, puzzled, something so i i I, i'm curious about that look but um but in relation to what you were just saying miles it does seem to me when i first heard these guys on the podcast and uh read this essay essay less so but um I, i think there's a big strain among serious christians roman catholic and protestant that we want our faith, our identity, our person, our experience—to be, ev- to be all of Jesus—to be for Christianity to be all of me. There's just a great desire for all of my life to be Christian, and that way I'll be a faithful follower of Jesus. And I think there's something admiral- admirable about that, um, and it's what I grew up. What I was reared on, it, it, it left me a little cold because some of my best friends in high school were not Christians, and my mother always wanted me to have more Christian friends, and my Christian friends at church were the ones introducing me to illicit drugs. Oh, okay, um, she didn't see that one coming, but uh, <laughs> you know, I just think there's such there's so many great people. I know in so many great institutions out there, so many great books that don't have a Christian provenance that I don't, and, and my fallback on this is to say it's not anti Christian or anti God in some ways for the, for the people who are, who are engaged in these activities. If they're not confessing Christ in some ways, ultimately they are anti God, but but still, this is all part of God's good creation, and he created all this stuff, and to appreciate that stuff is a way to acknowledge God's, God's sovereignty over this fallen but still good good world. Um, and it, you know, so for, for me, everything that I do, everything I touch, everything I watch, everything I read doesn't have to be Christian. I don't feel like I'm being less faithful. Now there, there I think there are plenty of people in my communion who may think that I am less faithful because of that. So, and I and I sometimes my wife even thinks that. But um but I but I, that there seems to be a holdover from some kind of pietism that again I grew up with and I found confessional protestantism to be a great relief from that. You could you could have your church stuff all on Sunday, for instance. And it's not like then the rest of the week you just party hardy, but no, you had work to do. You have all sorts of obligations and duties that aren't explicitly Christian, but you do them to the glory of God and you do them as part of your creaturely responsibilities. Um, and I just I, I don't see that distinction church and state say, or creation redemption, those kinds of categories that I think go back to the Reformation and are shared by our communions, although maybe expressed in different ways. um, I don't see that evident here. And I think the the difficulties, as you've been saying, Miles, of of the failures of liberalism and, and the nation of late are sort of pushing people toward something that isn't maybe authentic to confessional Protestantism, even though they themselves may think they are confessional Protestant. But, Corey, I'm curious to see, to hear what the Lutheran mind yeah. is thinking here.
1: Well, so, I mean, you, you've probably all heard this, this apocryphal Luther quotation. You know, I would rather be governed by a wise Turk than by a foolish Christian. Oh, don't tell no. me that's
0: not true. Please so don't it, tell it's, me. So it's, it's,
1: it is. It is. And listeners should know this This is apocryphal, as are so many Luther quotes. Um, and yet it's the, it's the kind of thing that that I think Luther... Could have said, Um, which I mean, it's 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 a false dichotomy. I mean, those aren't necessarily the choices. All things being equal, it would be great to have a wise Christian ruler, Um, but I mean, I I think this is reflective of a couple of things. One, you know, a recognition, and and I and I think that the 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 article and the, the, the several responses to the article in some ways recognize that yes, there is a distinction between church, state, family, that they, they, they each have different ends. The, the end of the church is, is ultimate and the ends of the others are temporal. So yeah, the church is more important, but nonetheless, because they have different ends, they, they operate by different means. And so to treat them as if they're the same, or if a couple of them are just kind of shadows imitating the other one is, is, not, is not terribly helpful um having having said that i mean I, I think where so much of this is coming from is that we, we, there aren't any wise turks out there i mean yeah. the i mean the and, and this i mean this is why i i mean i in some ways appreciate the fact that this author is pushing back against national conservatism i mean the idea that you know just just give the government more power to, to do the right thing and things will get fixed. Well, how's that worked out? Um, right. Or the idea I'm coming from the other side, you know, just, just give the church or give the clerics more power and, and they'll fix things. Well, uh, how's that working out? Um, but, but then to go back to, to, to the point, I think I began with, um that, that there is there isn't just a church that, that we can point to um i mean it, it, it's all fine and good to say that that our politics should more closely track christian principles um or 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 the, that our politics should be more forgiving um but when you get down to the nuts and bolts i mean who who defines what that is and what that looks like. Um, I mean, again, the, I, th- I think the theonomists have an answer to that and, and the integralists on the Catholic side have an answer to that. And, and the national conservatives have an answer to that. And, and I think that this article is trying to propose an alternative. I'm still just not clear what the alternative is.
0: Yeah,
1: uh, Unless it's individual Christians holding public office Making these decisions from their own personal perspective. Um,
0: Maybe it's Athens, three hundred and fifty BC. All Christian. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so before, I, we, we, go ahead. Let, 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 let,
1: let me give just what one. one Quotation, and I, I don't know how this fits into the article. But one one of the one of the important points of the article, and, and constantly reiterated, is that you know, the church is fundamental in a way that family and and state or government are not. Um, and of course, there's a sense in which that's true. But from from a Lutheran perspective, um, Augsburg Confession, Article Twenty Eight. Has this interesting phraseology. So he says we make a distinction between these forms of, of regiment or realm or kingdom, namely the church and the state, but we call them both the highest gifts of God on mm. earth to be held in honor. So it's it's it it's not as if yeah, they're both important, but 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 the church is more important, so should be calling shots even in the political realm, or should be a model for politics. It's no, both of these are the most important institutions, but they're different, and, and, and they have distinctive functions and distinctive means by which those, those functions are accomplished and those ends are met. Um, and it, it, it's, it's not clear that the, the national conservatives or you know, those pushing back against them are comfortable with either of those statements.
0: Well, I think we're almost out of time. I do want to get in our sponsor for this uh, episode. Um, our sponsor this time is the Department of Transportation. <clears throat> From road safety to emerging technologies and road construction, transportation is integral. There we go, integral to every America's American's life. At the DOT, we believe in creating the safest, most efficient, and modern transportation system, system In the world, that's why Secretary Pete Buttigieg has defined three key priorities for the Department of Transportation, safety, infrastructure, and innovation. As he said in October 2022, we're an administration that is absolutely committed to supporting small business, to advancing equity with every tool at our disposal, and that includes it in our contracting. And I know that the voices and faces represented here understand this because you live it infrastructure projects, create good-paying jobs, create contracting opportunities that generate income for families that then makes it possible for Americans to send their kids to college to buy homes, to build intergenerational wealth for the future. So if you want to know more about the Department of Transportation, go to www.transportation.gov.
1: Now, I got to ask if that was... Intended. You 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 quote the DOT saying we believe. Now that seems like a good example of ecclesiocentric politics—a statement of faith put out by an agency of the federal government. I think they're well, on it.
0: Yeah. And you could have listened to President Biden yesterday in Atlanta, speaking at Ebenezer Baptist. He 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 actually preached the way some people said he had the sermon slot anyway in the service. Um. That would be another kind of ecclesiocentrism. Uh, but so I don't know. Miles, do you want to say anything else about this topic? Well, I, we may return to it in, in future.
2: Yeah, I just think it like, you know, thinking about there's that famous Clemens so quote um, at the end of World <sighs> War I, where he basically said war is far too serious a thing to let generals take care of. Uh-huh. Uh, I think sometimes I wonder if, if religion and, and religious politics are far too serious a thing to let religious intellectuals take care of. Um, you know, especially when you think about, you know, very few of these guys have actually worked in politics. Most of them are, a lot of them are nerds. We're nerds too, kind of. And so I think on some level, it's kind of one of those things where um, re- re- sort of religion and politics driven by very earnest religious people. Uh, is 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 not always going to translate into the real world how they want to. So I think it's sort of like Corey's question: like, at what point does this start being something serious and stop being larpy? I don't. <laughs> I just don't think we're there yet.
0: Yeah. Well, I do, I do think it intellectually it is serious. I mean, I, I I'm impressed with the the range it, of yeah. authors these guys are are in, interacting with. Although I wish they'd interact with more non-Christian political theorists as well who are very smart. Um, I think, but in the similar um, order, it's
2: not serious yet at all. Yeah.
0: I mean, right.
2: Polit- politically it's not serious. I mean, right. Well, not, not,
1: yeah, not to drag things out, but this, this is in some respects, why I think, if, and I keep using the example of the integralists, um, it, it makes it more sense practically. I, it, what I mean is this, I mean, a, the population of America is not on board with any of this. So, so the only way that this happens is if you give certain people the power to impose it on the nation. Hmm. I mean, I think the kind of thing we're talking about, this ecclesiocentric alternative only works if you've got a critical mass of Christians whose Christianity just sort of naturally infuses what they do, whether that's how they raise their children, how they work in their employment, or, or how they govern. Um, but we don't live in that nation anymore. So the only way that that, that we get an ecclesiocentric polity is, is if somebody imposes that. So yeah, I mean I, in, that, in yeah. that sense, you know, integralism has a better chance of, of actually working. Um, you know, if you just get a few key people in power and they firmly believe that you know, what the church says, I do, that that works in a way that, that a more sort of decentralized Protestant alternative doesn't or, or even the kind of quasi Protestant national conservatism um, would, would work better
2: than uh, a vague talk about, you know,
1: the church. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I
2: think they want Utah's and they just want a bunch mm-hmm. of Utah's. And the fact that matters, most of America is Indiana. Um, and right? Indiana is a pretty conservative place. It's relatively Christian, but like if you were to go into a bar in Angola and be like, all right, guys, we've got it dialed up. No one's, no one's going to find a project in a way that even like very pious Mormons might want (laughs) something in Utah. So I think like when when it's, I mean, it's really interesting stuff. It's worth reading, but until somebody shows me a blueprint for how it's going to work without sort of trying to tell me that Donald Trump's a sort of, you know, Calvinist Caesar or something, then, you know, then then we can talk about whether it's real or not
0: but at least in utah if you're a serious mormon you get more than one wife that was a, that was a joke
2: i was like, i don't think that's the case Joe. but I, I don't know <laughs>
0: <laughs> well not legally not but
2: yeah emphasis on serious well with the department of transportation being one of our sponsors i'm sure we can get the department of justice in here to <laughs> help litigate that
0: all right. Well, we'll wrap this up for now. Uh, thanks to everyone for listening. We'll try to get back here again in in the near future, depending on what the semester will allow. But uh, we'll call it to a halt there. Thanks, guys.
1: Oh, thank, thank you. you.